the exciting, interesting things are always at the edges in between things. And this area, by its very nature, art and health, it has to be cross-disciplinary. It has to move across borders. Hello, and welcome to AI Arts In, the podcast produced by Creative Pinellas. I'm Barbara St. Clair, your host, and I'm here with Dolores Coe today, who is an expert on the relationship between arts and health. I'm an artist who has grown into the relationship. I'm a visual artist, mostly painting, but I taught for years kind of across media and also initiating uh, digital processing and digital media integrated into studios. A longtime educator, but I've always had some kind of relationship to what we now call art and health. My early roots were as a counselor with art combined and also as an artist working in artist-led projects or collaborations with people with different kinds of conditions or in communities that were challenged in some way. And so that was part of my roots early on as an artist. So was the connection between arts and health for you an aha moment or something you sort of grew into and kind of found yourself in the midst of? I think it's it's something that early on seemed kind of self-evident to me just in experiences with people and with teaching. People are drawn into the arts often because of what it feeds you. But I I think I've kind of ascribed to the uh, bumper car approach to life that you have your three and five year plan and then one day here's an interesting opportunity and you kind of follow that. So I taught art for many years. And when I decided to leave Ringling and just focus on my own work for a little bit, this opportunity came up And it's a moment in time where there's a larger recognition of art and health and wellness. And so I was asked to be part of this initiative that was starting at at USF to develop workshops for health science students. And my husband and I, uh, my husband's Bruce Marsh, visual artist as well, and we developed the visual component and were from the beginning very involved in this. And so in a way, I felt like all of the interests that I had had early on and that I had in some way involved myself on the side, suddenly there was this kind of this project that was very interesting and intriguing of how would we begin to design things that could actually be of use in the health sciences. It was in partnership with USF Health, and we began with Megan Voller, was the education curator at USF Kim, and Bruce and I, and Mary Lynn Morris. Mary Lynn is uh, really working with movement and having such a strong background and interest in the application in in health and wellness to dance. So um, we began this partnership, and it was based on a a model with uh, visual thinking processes that has been in use with museums and medical schools for 12, 15 years now. Mm. So it started with a, a, a kind of proven process in other places at Harvard and University of Miami. And one of the draws of this is in something like visual thinking strategies. It's a process that can be engaged in with many different people to use art as the basis for a conversation, facilitated conversation, that very much comes out of the experience of the participants. They're experiencing looking, looking deeper and seeing things they didn't see, having very different opinions on what they're seeing, 
But there's a series of questions in the facilitated discussion that then ask them to provide some evidence for why is it that you say you see blah, blah, blah. And there's no no judgmental Mm -hmm. kind of thing. And then it goes on to what more can you see? There's a process. There's a very definite process that you Mm -hmm. engage in. But it's ultimately endlessly changing depending on the people who are in the group. So one of the goals for the students and graduate students in health sciences was we would sharpen their observation skills. They would communicate across disciplines. So this was one of not so many opportunities where medical students, nursing students, pharmacy, physical therapy, world and public health, where they'd all cross paths and have a common discussion. Also that idea that you are moving out of your your known environment and your known knowledge base, and you are all together experiencing something that may be quite outside your expertise or even your experience. I mean, we find that the majority of the graduate students participating in this have not been to the museum on campus. Mm. So this experience of of utilizing arts-based experiences for some purposes that they could then glean something to utilize in their professional practice was of interest. So a lot of times I think when people hear art and health, they think art therapy. Yep which certainly is an area where art does help patients. But what you're talking about is the kind of training somebody might go to in law school to start to learn how to organize thoughts, train themselves to make a case. Mm -hmm. And it's a rigorous practice of training so that you can do something at a much higher level than you might have done without that training. And you're kind of describing that as what your program is, using art to train people's minds to see and think and communicate differently. Yes. And and so sharpening observation and and critical thinking skills and communication skills is part of it. Developing a common language that's based on immediate experience, you know, having a way to process that. And also that your, your experience is different than others. Art therapy, then, is a mental health discipline. Art therapists are licensed in some states now, not in Florida yet. But the practice of, of art therapy is utilizing art techniques mm-hmm. as part of a treatment plan, part of a process to move forward in terms of psychological, developmental goals. What we're doing is working with the actual processes of art mm-hmm. as artists. So we're using the processes of art making, art viewing. And so this is with your, your students who are training to be medical health practitioners. Mm-hmm. We start them in a visual studio where we're experiencing together some imagery. We're thinking we see something because of our physiology or because of our cultural perceptions or whatever, but very quickly setting the stage for how complex perception and observation is. And then I'm moving them right into a, a drawing experience. It's a, it's a guided kind of drawing. Drawing is so learnable and it's based you know, 90% on observation. So uh-huh. if you can see, you can you can learn to see, you can draw. Sure. And then color exercises and and it's all about seeing. Everything has a reflection period. You know what happened there? What are we seeing? Then they move to movement. Mary Lynn works with them with a, a Laban analysis, movement analysis, so that they're directly experiencing movement, but then also cognitively, you know, here's a system, here's a model through which to take apart and think about what you're observing in another person who's moving. 
mm-hmm. coming towards mm-hmm. you, characteristics of a patient. Then they move into sound with Paul Reller, who is a composer in School of Music. And he moves them through some basics of sound. What is it that we're hearing mm-hmm. when we hear a sound? They listen to a range of things. They do a blind walk through an environment. And then they actually use some software. They say have sampled their voices and they begin to work dynamically with sound, experiment with that. At the end of every session, one of the healthcare faculty comes and joins in. So in, in Paul's workshop, Dr. Brian Knox comes and he amplifies heart arrhythmias or lung sounds. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But but now you're decoding that. And so what is it that we're Opens a lot of doors, I would think, for people to understand things in new ways. Well, it it provides another framework. How do you decode a complex visual environment? Mm -hmm. How do you decode a complex, chaotic sound environment? Mm -hmm. So becoming very aware of the patterns of how you might do that. It's about observation, but more about attending, that taking in all of the information in the environment and processing is a multimodal, we say, Mm -hmm. process and engaging different ways of attending, different areas of our brain in in that process. And our our newest one is with Dan Granke, with theater, and he's developing improv. Dan is working with that kind of real-time interaction and attending and responsiveness to the moment. And this came out of conversation that you hear a lot in this area is that we're developing empathy. It is in the conversation of all of this. As as the doctors on our advisory committee point out, there is a notorious second-year dip in medical school Mm. in empathy. Empathy is a very, it's a complex thing. Emotional intelligence or being able to take in what's happening in the moment and respond seems more akin to some of the things that theater and improv could address. There are probably over 70 museum and medical school or health science partnerships around the country. Ten years ago, there were a handful. So it's gained traction very quickly. What is different here, and I think it's because of the environment and how it started, is we've had the capacity within the College of the Arts to engage these people from the different areas to consider this issue. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And that kind of group and discussion isn't possible sometimes between a single museum and a a medical school, for example. We've been talking about your work as an educator and as, I would say, an integrator with arts and medicine. How has that experience, how has that impacted you as an artist? Hmm. Well, that's kind of complicated. One thing that has happened that interests me a great deal, about a year into this project, I received an email that had been forwarded through a whole chain of colleges. It was a query from a clinician in the in the language and communications disorders department. And she had a very particular client that she was seeking help for. And this email had bounced for several, four or five months mm. around the university, the education, psychology. Mm. So she had a, a client who had had a, a stroke, had been seen in the clinic for several years, tremendously angry and frustrated. And of course, he lost all language and mm-hmm. use of his, his dominant hand. But in the course of therapy, they encourage clients to try to draw for communication. 
and uh, he was resistant, but did. And, and the drawings that he did were quite singular. And so his adult children had given him some oil paints, and he, on his own, figured out how to use them and, and had made a first painting. But it was the first thing that this client had been interested in. So she was seeking somebody, can you come and, could somebody come and meet and maybe find a student, find someone who could work with him? And I went and met him and his caregiver and the clinician. This becomes, this is the accidental program right, under right. Art and Health. Right. And what it is, what has developed is it is a weekly art making program. It's art studio for people with aphasia, their caregivers and clinicians. And it started with this one client. And I have to say that I was very moved by the clinician and how dedicated, obviously, and also knowing that nobody does that unless they're seeing something that, hey, can somebody look? You know, mm-hmm. But it was also that what I saw and when I met him was so unexpected. He had never had any interest in art at all and actively, I was told by family, actively disliked it. Mm. But when I met him, he had done these two paintings. One was influenced by Thomas Kincaid, but there were these bits of humor, and one was uh, from the top of a jigsaw puzzle box of a, a grandchild, which he had meticulously painted very detailed, like an old dot matrix printer, mm-hmm. left to right, top to bottom, decoding what he was seeing. So there were a couple of things that first just what was happening to, you know, he was trying all of these different ways to figure out how to do this. But also he had developed, he'd found something. This was enormously time consuming, an enormous focus with your non-dominant hand and figuring out how to use oil paint. And the passion there Mm -hmm. was really interesting. But there was a little bit of the roof of this painting that was... You know, I said, oh, boy, this is really interesting. And he goes, he's gesturing to me that, that something's bothering him. Mm-hmm. And so we went through a process. I said, something's bothering you. And I, you know, I just sort of scanned the painting with him. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And can you find what it is mm-hmm. that's bothering you? And he went right to parts that were bothering him in perspective. So the upshot was, I, I said, would you like to use some big brushes and maybe just kind of charge in? No. I want to learn to do that, he points to. So, so what I saw was somebody who was specifically wanting to learn. I want to learn these things. And I recognized, or I just felt that when you have lost control, you've, you've lost language, you've lost the use of your dominant hand, you've lost your career, you've lost a lot of things that possibly it's not, maybe, maybe doesn't want to explore having a stroke and what mm-hmm. it feels like. Maybe to engage the learning capacity that mm-hmm. is there mm-hmm. that hasn't been developed could be a pathway in. And so we started with a a little pilot that used the same guided drawing technique. And the idea was to work side by side with, I engaged some students as interns, because it it seems so fragile. And I think you find this working in any kind of teaching with a creative process is the challenge is to teach and bring people along with maybe what's not working or what can be taught. And at the same time, to be pulling out what is specific and about that person. Right. And so it's a fragile process, but this seemed especially fragile. I, I didn't want to be in the position of teaching and having the sense of a failure right. or I'm not quite getting it. Right. 
and also to take it out of language-based. And, and of course, intellect is completely intact and this curiosity and this passion and desire, but the language component is, is abstracted. Set up an environment that would not be language dependent, where people are working side by side, something like a figure drawing studio, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know? So there'd be models and focus and a, a guiding, guiding through what to look for and respond to. So we started that and he really responded to it and we became more complex. And right away he's working with portraits and elements of that. We, we did that for six months. At the end of six months, he was highly engaged in therapies and, and they were more concentrated because he was responding. And there was some real movement and progress and change, a lot of change in mood, in lifting depression, in a range of things. And I'll just say, too, that from the very first session, the caregiver came and I offered a drawing board, charcoal drawing boards, still life. And she said, oh, no, no. And then she took it mm-hmm. and sat down, and it's five years later, and she's missed one session in five wow, years. Wow. And that's kind of what we've, there was this organic, almost accidental, oh, this could be a benefit for everybody. And then we started with a clinician in the room doing language therapy. But that, if you've ever been in a room where people are really focused on drawing a figure mm-hmm, or drawing mm-hmm, some, mm-hmm. it's, um, it's quiet, quiet. <laughs> yeah. because it's a whole different process. So... Almost immediately, we said, what if we just invite the clinician to draw along? Mm -hmm. And then later, the vocabulary becomes part of this if it's desired. And that's what happened. It really impacts the students who who work along. So we, we work with aphasia and traumatic brain injury with referrals from the VA. And then the interesting thing that, that has to do with the health sciences is that I would mention this in my workshops occasionally. And I had a range of students from the health sciences that asked if they could volunteer. So we know in the arts that people do learn to see more. We develop as artists. We see more. We see more acutely. We hear more acutely. We are more sensitive to movement. But the question in these workshops is, what of all of that can we take and structure in three hours that someone could not experience art light, but Mm -hmm. experience some kind of authentic experience or Mm -hmm. engagement Mm -hmm. in which they can begin to be sensitive to, yes, you can see more. You you can develop these things. We have no illusion that in three hours you're going to walk out and your your life has been changed, but that you can walk out being acutely aware that I can be more aware of things. I recognize, and I think we all recognize in Art and Health at USF, that we don't have the capacity or the support, the funding, to be providing programs for large numbers of people. Right. But what we can do is be in an environment where we can try to address some things. Right. And if if we find something that appears in a piloting sort of way to be working, that we can share, then that I think is that I think is the purpose of that kind of environment. Sure. It's like uh, a workshop or a lab, you know? Yeah. Yeah. One student from St. Pete College, graphic design, applied to be an intern with me, and she did the whole thing. But she collaboratively developed a wallet card that folds out, and the back of it is shrunken down imagery that was developed by the clients. Mm -hmm. They did things with their hands, Mm -hmm. designs based on their hands that were quite intricate in line. But the reverse side was developed in collaboration with everybody and the clinicians 
of what does somebody, a dentist, what should they know or a waitress, what should they know about your situation? And so right. it says, I have aphasia, and then folds out tips for talking to me. So the student, this became her thesis project. Wow. And that little card took it to the directors of the clinic, and they've printed hundreds of them. Mm. They're given out at conferences, doctor's offices. So it's in use. It's out there. And there are several projects that have come through, developed by students. It's one of those little projects that draws in people from very different places. They're all there to make art side by side, but it allows them the possibility of, you know, now it's in their toolbox. Sure, sure. So where do you take that? The exciting, interesting things are always at the edges, Mm -hmm. you know, in between things. Mm -hmm. It seems like always. And this area, by its very nature, art and health, it has to be cross-disciplinary. It has to move across borders. That intersection is is really interesting. Mm -hmm. I just felt like art students really would have just a kind of empathy for what it's like to not be able to communicate what you intend. Mm. And that process of learning and how that happens and the struggle for that. I will show interns these images or talk about what's happening. And you don't have to explain much. Right. They, they, just, they just get it. And they're very, very moved by it. And it's a learning curve mm-hmm. for people. It is a growing field. It does provide some possible pathways for artists who want to go in that direction. It's distinctly different than art therapy. It's about what artists can bring. Right to an environment. Right. So not to change your discipline. And, and I believe to authentically do the work, you've got to be doing the art. The art that you do as an artist, talk a little bit about that. I will say that one of the things that impacted me is is my work took a real change when I had my own medical in- adventure a few years ago. And um, I came out of the process of situation that accidentally got larger and all is well. But, but the process of that really kind of changed the work that I do. I do rather large scale paintings usually, very intense color. And for all the talk of drawing and the leading people through this representational drawing, my friends would uh, roll their eyes at that because I'm an abstract painter and I, I'm engaged in work that has to do, it's become more fragmented and... They're, they are based on little uh, vignettes that I see out in the world, and I actually photograph and document things, but then I recombine them, and they have to do with making things whole. For quite a long time, I followed a track of painting, and I can say I go and shoot carnivals and fairs early morning, late night when they're when they're vacant, and I'm I'm documenting roadsides along 41, the statuary, and all of those kinds of things, and very finessed artist statement about what I've been pursuing for a number mm-hmm. of years. But then there's these moments in in time and in life where honestly things pivot. Yes, and I think part of the role of art is I don't know what's changing really, but I know that I can pursue that through my art. It's something about the process. It's that that pivot in life necessitated a pivot in art. Right. And that they're intertwined. I have a faith that whether it's the students I work with in art school or kids in, I did a number of projects in domestic violence shelters and in long-term care facilities and with different people that you share the process 
and people engage and it becomes their process. And to me, when I had to make a choice between, is it counseling or is it, to me, the authentic practice of the process is is what opens up for people and where I wanted to be. Dolores, thank you very much. I've been here with Dolores Coe, who's an educator and an artist and is doing wonderful things in art and health at USF and in your own creations. Thank you very much. Thank you. I'm Barbara St. Clair, and you've been listening to Arts In, the Creative Pinellas podcast, sponsored in part by the Pinellas County Board of County Commissioners. Visit St. Petersburg Clearwater and the State of Florida Department of Cultural Affairs. Arts In is produced by Matt and Sheila Cowley. And if you're enjoying this program, we hope you'll take a moment to give us a review. It's easy to subscribe to on your favorite podcast service. You can find more conversations with visual, literary, and performing artists and in-depth arts journalism at creativepinellas.org. Thank you for listening.